This episode does include gruesome details from true events. Listener discretion advised for those under the age of 18. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crime Vine podcast. If you are new here, I am your host, Felicity Brooke, and basically this is a true crime and conspiracy theory podcast. As I say in every episode, conspiracy, we don't do that much. We mostly stick with true crime. And lately, I have decided that I I still want to do like the big cases of true crime, you know, that everybody knows about and that basically everybody covers. But I also want to focus more on the cases that aren't as widely known as, you know, say Jack the Ripper and stuff like that in cases that are going to be cold for basically ever. I want to help spread the word about and share the voices of these victims who have not found justice yet and who need your help to help get them justice and to, to find answers and to find out what actually happened to them. And today's case is actually on Brandy Myers. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this case, which is exactly why I want to share it with you today. Now, um, Brandy's case is so incredibly important and it's very important that you help get involved. And at the end of this podcast, I will share ways that you can get involved. And I really encourage everybody to help get involved with this case and help her sister, Kristen, you know, spread the word about Brandy and help her find justice for her sister. Cause I can't imagine what she has gone through in her entire life. Her entire life was shaken and rocked in all different ways since she was a little girl and her sister disappeared. And it's very, very difficult, I imagine, with them knowing what happened and having eyewitnesses and confessions from other people, but not being able to do anything about it because the district attorney's office won't prosecute the case. Again, I will share more information on how you can get involved at the end of this episode. But for right now, I want you all to grab yourselves a drink because this vine will definitely rope you in. This crime took place in Phoenix, Arizona in 1992. Brandy Myers was just 13 years old at the time. Brandy disappeared on May 26, 1992. Brandy lived in an apartment with her family in the Sunny Slope neighborhood. She had a younger sister named Kristen. Brandy was described as a sweet girl. Her and Kristen were basically best friends at this point, and they were so close. They would play a lot in the neighborhood since it was known to be a good one, and their apartment was only three blocks from their school. Brandy and Kristen were playing in the neighborhood and they were supposed to go door to door for a bookathon that Brandy was participating in. Now they had already taken a few pledges from people and it was on the way to school, so they were comfortable and felt safe doing so. They had a list of pledges and houses that they went to, but somehow out of nowhere, the list vanished. So they kind of had to start over and, and figure out which houses they had already been to. Brandy was about to head out and get some more pledges when Kristen decided she did not want to go with Brandy anymore. Kristen had a boyfriend at this time, she was just 11 years old, and she wanted to hang out with him and basically be a a big kid. So Brandy ended up going alone. Kristen did watch her for the first few doors and then she watched her turn a corner. Little did Kristen know this was going to be the last time she would ever see her sister Brandy. Brandy went early in the day, around noon and no one really suspected anything until their mother got home later that day and relieved the babysitter. The babysitter was aware that Brandy was going door to door and she notified the mother of that, but she also added that Brandy never came home and they couldn't find her anywhere. 
So naturally, around this time, they got the authorities involved. By the time the authorities got there, the entire apartment complex had been taped off. There were helicopters, K-9 units, and a ton of officers. Authorities began questioning people at the apartment complex, and a little girl claimed to have known what happened to Brandy. She claims that she met up with Brandy at some point, and Brandy decided to go to Smitty's, which is a grocery store nearby. But the weird thing is, is this store was in the opposite direction that Brandy would have gone. The little girl was also claiming that Brandy wanted to spend the pledge money on candy and toys. Now this was a little odd because this did not seem right to a lot of people that knew Brandy. This little girl claims that she had to use the restroom and Brandy didn't want to go with her so she just waited outside. But when the little girl got out of the restroom, Brandy wasn't there. Now authorities searched the area in which Smitty's was. They also searched surrounding neighborhoods and apparently there was a pedophile in this area so they thought that this would pan out. They started to question people in Brandy's neighborhood and then re-question people at the apartment complex. All this did was raise more questions. Two days into the search, a teenage girl's body was found in a rugged desert area in the northeast side of Phoenix. The teenage girl's body they found belonged to Shannon Amick. She had a similar build to Brandy and she also had glasses. They all thought that it was Brandy, but later they found out that it was not. It wasn't until 2011 that they figured out it was Shannon. She was 16 years old and she lived a rough life. Her parents gave her up when she was just three years old and Shannon was known as the constant runaway in foster care. The last time Shannon would run away, CPS made a missing persons report on her and also filed to revoke the rights of the police on her and said that they weren't able to conduct a full investigation on her. So Shannon just kind of became lost in society and nobody was looking for her. They figured out it was Shannon because they managed to get some DNA from her biological mother and matched them up. Now there's Angela Labrazo. A few months after finding Shannon's body, they found a decapitated body, and 11 days later, they found the head stuck in a grate in the canal. Angela was 22 years old, and she lived with her boyfriend. On November 8th, she left her house to go on a bike ride and never came back home. So her boyfriend reported her missing. A year later, in September 1993, police are trying to figure out what happened to Shannon and Angela while trying to find Brandy. Nothing was coming from their investigation until a 17-year-old girl named Melanie Burney went missing. She, just like Angela, also went out for a bike ride and was never to be seen again. Melanie was only missing for about a day when her body was found in the canal. So now there are three teenage-slash-young adult female bodies and a missing girl. This sounds like the makings of a serial killer. During autopsies, it was discovered that both Angela and Melanie were both sexually assaulted. Some DNA of the predator was found from their bodies, and that's how they figured out that both of these girls were assaulted by the same predator. Now, unfortunately, DNA testing was not anywhere near where it is today. I mean, DNA analysis success is still slightly new to us today, with new methods and everything proving a success. So they pushed the DNA to the side because, again, it's not like they had everyone on record. Nowadays, it's more common because of all the ancestry tree websites and whatnot that people are actually uploading their DNA to. If this was a predator with no record, they wouldn't be able to just find him with a DNA test. 
Brandy's case ended up going cold. They had no answers, there was no body, no witness, no idea of what could have happened to her. It's like she just vanished out of nowhere into thin air. Fast forward to 2014, a genealogist was trying to find a last name for some DNA that was tested, and they traced it back to a parental lineage and discovered the killer had the same name of Miller. Today, he is known as the Canal Killer. And shockingly enough, they had this guy on their suspect list of potential attackers. Brian Patrick Miller was the guy that they found. Now we are years later from when they first found the DNA on the two girls' bodies. So they ran the DNA again and they ran it with Miller's DNA and it proved to be a match. 20 years after these heinous crimes, they found this guy. Which is a good thing for these cases, but if you're anything like me, this makes you mad at the same time. This man was free for 20 years after he committed these heinous crimes. I mean, he probably thought that if he went 20 years without being caught, then he was set. He would never go to prison for these crimes. Now this man turns out to be a very disturbing human being. As a teenager, he had extreme behavioral issues and was always getting in trouble with the law and his parents were at a loss of what to do with him. At 15 years old, he was in a juvenile detention center. It was said that while he was in the detention center, that he was a very intelligent young person, but also had a lot of anger and aggression issues. He was in the program for only two months. A few months after his release, he was walking an 18-year-old girl to work, and suddenly he just stabbed her. Luckily, she did survive this attack, but he was again arrested and put back into the detention center and he was sentenced to stay in the program until he was 18 years old. When he turned 18, they had no choice but to release him. Apparently his time in this facility didn't scare him enough because he did not stop committing crimes and he was even more violent now than before. Now everyone in town knew this guy. He was frequently seen just walking around and, and apparently he was a very strange guy and that's how everybody knew him. He had a weird obsession with zombies and he even had a quote-unquote zombie car and he would tell everyone that he was a zombie killer. He would even talk to the police and take photos with them. Little did they know, he was the man they were looking for. He was arrested on January 15, 2015 after the genealogists made this discovery of his crimes. He was charged with two counts of kidnapping two counts of first-degree murder, and two counts of sexual assault, and he is currently facing the death penalty. Because of this discovery, Brandy's case was dug up and being looked at again. A lot of people were beginning to think that Brian was involved in Brandy's disappearance. And actually, someone came forward with some information. None other than Brian's ex-wife. She said that during their marriage, Brian was into sadism. Now, if you're not familiar with sadism, basically it's the tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from inflicting pain, suffering, or other humiliating instances on others. She said the longer the marriage went on, the more he became interested in sadism and the more violent he got. He actually started using knives in the bedroom. She said that one time he told her, if I didn't love you so much, I would kill you. He even cut her hair one time and said he did it in place of cutting her throat and would often tell her what he did to other women. 
Now, to me, it sounds like this man only gets sexual pleasure when harming others, which is an extremely disturbing fact. Now, Amy, who is his ex-wife, thought that these were all just made-up stories for fantasy reasons. Here's where things take a shocking turn. One of these supposed stories was a story of what exactly happened to Brandy. And it wasn't until Brian was arrested that Amy realized these stories weren't just some sick fantasies for sexual pleasure, but they were real stories about real victims. Brian told Amy that a disabled girl came to his door, and Brandy actually did have some type of disability, so this would fit the profile. Well, Brian told Amy that he saw this as a good time to act on her. Amy said that Brian grabbed a little girl and pulled her inside and started stabbing her. Now, if someone told me this story during intimate times, I'm not going to lie, I would be a little freaked out. You don't just bring children into weird sexual fantasies. I mean, I would have been freaked out regardless, because that's just not normal at all. He claimed to have kept the body in the house, but neighbors began smelling it decomposing. He then claimed to have cut her up and, and put her in trash bags. The garbage man was to come the next day, so Brian thought that this was the easiest way to get rid of her. According to Amy, Brandy's body is in a landfill somewhere deep. Now, obviously, the Myers family did not handle this news very well. I mean, how could you? Brandy's sister, Kristen, claimed that the family sort of died inside with this news. They didn't cling together, and they didn't get counseling. Kristen decided that she was going to get in touch with the little girl that made the anonymous tip about Brandy. This girl, as always, remained anonymous and is actually known in this investigation as just the little girl. Kristen had a hard time believing this story because Brandy was super into selling these books and raising money, so the idea of her going off her route to the store was a little alarming to her. Not only that, she had other people telling her that Brandy had stopped at their house. Now, apparently, Brandy had stopped by one of Kristen's friend's house before, and not the next house, but the one after that was none other than Brian Miller's house. Putting Brandy on her original route and discrediting, in my opinion, the anonymous tip from the little girl. The family watched Brandy go to the next house, but then they went inside. It's crazy to think that this could have all been avoided if they would have just watched her a little longer. But the sad part is, is that they had no idea what was about to happen. I mean, how could they have? So Kristen confronted the little girl, and this little girl basically denied ever saying anything like that. Kristen seems to think that this little girl just made up this story to get attention. Now this infuriates Kristen because in this investigation, Brandy is placed being last seen at Smitty's when they have two eyewitnesses placing her two doors down from Brian Miller's. Kristen has reached out to the little girl to retract her statement. If this little girl hadn't made this up, the police wouldn't have wasted so much time seeking a false lead. Police felt that they had enough evidence against Brian to get a court to convict him. They requested the court to charge him with first-degree murder in Brandy's disappearance. The court actually denied their request and they said there was not enough evidence because there was no body found. As you all may know, it's way harder to convict someone if nobody was found. I mean, the perfect example is the Alyssa Turney case. Although it is possible, it just makes things so much more difficult. The court told them to come back with more evidence in order for them to do anything, which is so frustrating because it's already been so long. 
There isn't any more evidence that's randomly just going to pop out of thin air. May 26, 2019 was the 27-year anniversary of Brandy's disappearance slash murder. Kristen's thought process was the only way for Brian to be charged with Brandy's murder without a body was to create public pressure, and that is exactly what she's doing today. Kristen is not going down without a fight. She will not settle with just because there was no body found means there will be no charge. She will spend the rest of her life fighting for justice if she has to. She cannot just continue living a normal life knowing what happened to her sister and not doing anything about it. Now, I encourage you all to help Kristen find justice for her sister. If everyone speaks up to the courts, maybe they will do something about it. Kristen has a petition you can sign, and I will link it in the show notes. Call Bill Montgomery's office, write them letters, anything will help, and tell them you want Brian Miller charged with Brandy's death. Don't forget that Brian was never charged with Shannon's death either, so it's very important that we help find both of these girls justice. Lastly, I encourage you all to please share this episode and help Brandy's story be heard. We need to create the public pressure. We are the voices for Brandy since hers was taken from her. Also, another way to share this episode is tweeting about it, going on Twitter, creating a thread about this story, getting this case known. If you have a podcast, create an episode on this story. If you have a YouTube channel, do an episode on this story. This case is some... This case is a case that needs to be heard. It's a case that doesn't have enough people fighting for it, and it doesn't have enough people that know about it. This case needs to be heard not only all across America, but all across the world. And Kristen needs your help to find her sister justice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this evidence seems pretty incriminating to me, and it seems to be that the common denominator is that Arizona's district attorney's office isn't really doing all that they can possibly do. I mean, if we look at Alyssa Turney's case as well, um, Sarah Turney, which is Alyssa's sister, I don't know if you guys have listened to that podcast episode. If you haven't, you should go listen to it. But her sister is having a hard enough time um, with getting her case prosecuted. And the thing that makes me so angry is that we, we know what happened. Like, like Sarah Turney has evidence at, that could incriminate her father. She is continuing every single day to find more evidence incriminating her father. Brandy's sister, Kristen, has eyewitnesses. She has testimonies from people that knew Brian. I mean, his ex-wife. That is enough. And she was told the exact story about what supposedly happened to Brandy. Is that, isn't that enough evidence to incriminate him? I mean, he was charged for Melanie and Angela's murders, but he was never charged for Shannon or Brandy's murders. And I think it is very, and not just for Brandy, but for Shannon also, these girls deserve to be heard. They deserve to be in the public eye and they deserve justice. I mean, if any of your family members, if any of this happened to anybody you know, your family members, your friends, I'm sure you guys will do everything you can possibly do to help get justice for them. So that's why I encourage you guys all to be the voice that Brandy needs and 
help Kristen. Um, Kristen also does have a GoFundMe account to help with legal bills. If you guys would like to support that, I will also link that in the show notes of this episode. I encourage you all to sign the petition. You can also contact the Maricopa County's attorney's office. Um, There will be a phone number that I will post on Instagram on a post, and then I will also post it in the show notes of this episode that you can call and you can create the public pressure that the district attorney's office needs. Thank you guys so much again for listening. If you guys have any cases about... Um, kind of a case like this, you know, it's not very widely known around the country or around the world. Please send it to me. I would like to help create awareness for these victims. And I would also like to help spread the word of people that deserve justice that not enough people are talking about. So if you have some cases, please send them to me on either Twitter or you can DM them to me on Instagram. I will definitely take a look into those cases. And also, if you guys could take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you are listening to, it will greatly help me out. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Crime Vine Podcast. I'm usually pretty active over there. Not going to lie, haven't been as active much um, lately, but I am getting back onto it, I promise. And I do tweet quite a bit on, on Twitter as well, and that's at the Crime Vine PO1. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will talk to you guys in my next podcast episode.